0: Hello and welcome to Of The People. I am Robert Chernin. Thank you so much for joining us again. Another American hostage crisis. Another Iranian hostage crisis. Go back to 1979. 1979, after the fall of the Shah, 52 Americans were held for 444 days as hostage in Iran at the U.S. Embassy. They were only released, if you remember, on January 20th, which was when Ronald Reagan was sworn into office. So we now have another American hostage crisis in Gaza. And it's an Iranian hostage crisis, because let's be honest, uh, Hamas and Hezbollah are surrogates of Iran. They take their marching orders from Iran. So essentially we have an American hostage crisis and no one's talking about it. We're talking about the Israelis that are being held hostage, and all of this is not good news for America. But where is the outrage? 30 Americans were killed, 13 were held hostage, two were recently released. But you don't hear any discussion about the Iranian or American hostage crisis being held by Iran or Hamas. You can use whatever word you want to use. America, where is the outrage? I don't understand. Now, with what's going on in Israel, they're already starting to talk about a proportionate response. You have to remember that this is Israel's 9-11. Did anyone start talking about a proportionate response when America was attacked on September 11th? Well, you know, America, you should have a proportionate response to the Taliban or, you know, radical Islam uh, or the jihadis who killed almost 3,000 of your people. And to put this in perspective, 3,000 Americans died on September 11th, the equivalent of 42,000 and the numbers are a little off 40, let's call it 40 to 45,000 Americans would have died equivalent to the number of Israelis that died in this terrorist attack. So now we're going to tell Israel that they should have a proportionate response, which I guess, according to you know Hamas, a proportionate Israeli response would be raping women in Gaza and beheading babies. Obviously that's not who we are and that's not what we do. We are a civilized country, but we have a right to defend ourselves. And it is unacceptable that this administration has now allowed another hostage crisis, an American hostage crisis, along with an Israeli hostage crisis to take place. Now, I guess since we just sent them 5 billion, although supposedly it's now frozen, the message is clear: take American hostages, negotiate with America, because America will negotiate with terrorists now, and we will pay a ransom for them. And let's not forget what's happening domestically during this American hostage crisis, or Iranian hostage crisis of American uh, hostage crisis of Americans. Domestically, you're seeing all this pro-Palestinian uprising in this country, and it's not just that they're protesting for Palestinian rights. They're protesting for the death of Israel. Remember that this really is about driving the Jews into the sea. It's not the Israeli charter that calls for the extermination of the Jews. It's not the Israelis that use hospitals and places of worship and schools to hide their munitions and hide their bombs and missiles. It's not the Israelis that use human shields to protect them right? So it's okay in this country to protest for what you believe in, but what they're protesting for is not Palestinian rights. They're protesting, if you really read between the lines, to drive the Jews into the sea. This is about an extermination of a people, right? This is connected to this hostage crisis. And for all the Black Lives Matter and social justice warriors or social justice movement out there, it has been, always will be anti-Semitic. And the irony of all of this is that one of the vanguards of the social justice movement are the liberal Jewish community who now are being hoisted on their own petard. That's being exploded by your own bomb, if you remember an earlier segment. They're hoisted on their own petard because they don't understand that that social justice movement that they have been supporting has always been anti-Semitic, doesn't apply to the Jews. And all of a sudden now they're in shock, yet it's these very people who bear a great deal of the responsibility for pushing this whole woke nonsense. So let's go back to the American hostage crisis because that's where this all gets tied together. That's what it stems from. There is a weakness, you'll forgive me, talking too much today. There's a weakness in U.S. foreign policy. Our enemies know that. And here's the issue, and this is what it comes down to. The world is less safe when our friends no longer trust us and our enemies no longer fear us. And when that happens, you have another Iranian-American hostage crisis. Folks, stay tuned for later in the show we have a very special guest with us, which is Morgan Ortega. She's the former spokesperson for the State Department under Mike Pompeo. She is the founder of, of Polaris National Security. We also are going to lead off our segment. We have Doug Burgum, the governor of North Dakota, who's running for president. And you're not going to want to miss this. We have Tyler Boyer, Turning Point Action USA, the lead grassroots youth movement in the country, certainly on the conservative side. A lot for today's show. We'll be right back. America came into being based on a shared belief and a common set of values. Unlike other nations that were bound together based on common ancestry, race, or caste, we came into being based on a simple and shared set of ideals. That the power of government is based on the consent of the governed. That life, the freedom to live life on our own terms and our own way free from government interference and liberty, our most precious value, and the pursuit of happiness, which means we are free to pursue that which we choose with the knowledge and courage to know that nothing is guaranteed to us in this life. Those values, America was founded on these basic inalienable rights. Freedom to pray to God in our own way. Freedom to think and speak freely without fear of punishment or harm. and Freedom to gather in our places of worship and in our local taverns and freedom to defend ourselves, our families, our homes, and our neighbors as we see fit. The American Center for Education and Knowledge is dedicated to protecting American exceptionalism anywhere and everywhere it is threatened. ASIC is a 501c3 and depends on your tax-deductible donations. Please help us continue our fight. Hello, welcome back to Of The People. Thank you for staying with us. I'm Robert Chernin with my Always lovely co-host.
1: Erica Reddick.
0: Yes, you are. Erica. Thank you. We interviewed, you know, I'm still coming off of First in a Nation Summit. What a great event that Chairman Chris yeah. put together, right? We got yep. to interview a lot of people, including the governor of, South, of North Dakota, Governor Doug Burgum. Yeah. What'd you think of that?
1: I think he's great. I'm not gonna lie, uh, Robert. He's one of my favorite contenders. Uh, because he's very conservative and sounds at least libertarian leaning, right? So anybody who's talking about, um, you know, self ownership and small government conservatism is gonna catch my attention. What did you think? You were the one who got to interview him. So what did you think about him? What did what kind of vibe did you get?
0: You know just solid midwestern values and 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 if he's and if he's not president i hope someone who has the same sensibilities is but look for our for mm-hmm. our listeners and our viewers let's play this interview and then you and i come back on the other side and we can dig a little deeper into governor doug Burgum of north dakota hello and welcome to of the people i'm robert chernan and we are thrilled to have with us north dakota governor running for president doug bergham Governor Burgum, welcome to Up the People. Thank you for being here.
2: Robert, fantastic to be with you, and thanks for being at this First in the Nation Summit. Well, New Hampshire, if I've learned one thing, is all
0: belly-to-belly retail politics, and you got to be here talking to the people, and the citizens are very, very engaged. I want to I heard your speech. I thought your moral clarity on Israel was outstanding. Let's talk about that for a second, real quick. Um, you're starting to already see the White House back away from support for Israel. The words they're now using is "proportionate response." I don't know how you have a proportionate response when they're when the evil, the the, the raping of women, the beheading of babies. I mean, I mean, So, how do you how do you tackle that as president in terms of addressing not only the
2: war against Israel but the larger issue of the, the head of the snake, which is Iran? Well, you're right on track about Iran. Because, well, I like to say, when I'm your president, this won't be happening. Because what we've got is responding wars through weakness. The appeasement strategy that started under Obama, relative to Iran with the Iran nuclear deal, and now continued on under the Biden administration, is the same thing. We were also weak. On supporting Ukraine, and we were weak and essentially green lighting Putin to go into Russia. Right. And then we were super weak when we pulled out of Afghanistan. I mean, wouldn't we want to have that Bagram Air Base right now as things start to heat up in the, in the Middle East? And so we've basically done all that, and then all that green lights China to do whatever they want in Taiwan. And so it's a set of policies that we have both abroad and national security and home economically that are all self-inflicted under Joe Biden. None of this needs to be happening. We gotta go in 180 different degree turn going forward on both national security and on our economy. but, But specifically, Governor,
0: with Iran, because we all know it starts and ends in Iran, Iran is the leading state sponsor of terrorism, and I think that's an understatement. The yes. axis of evil I understand, but how would you deal with Iran? What are the options that are on the table? Well, the first
2: thing the first thing we have to do is right off the bat is enforce the actual oil sanctions. There's supposed to be oil sanctions in place right now. No one's talking about that. The Biden administration isn't talking about that. Go look up the numbers. They've dramatically increased all of their exports in the last two or three months as the Biden administration has been negotiating on hostage releases. You know, setting a price tag on every American's life overseas. I mean, with this crazy six billion dollars, they released ten billion to Iran back in in june that was like on page 48 in all the press so all of this money that's being released is going as you said to the world's largest state sponsor of terrorism and and we could have a three-front war in israel with hezbollah syria and and iran and they are and likely will and they're absolutely paying for all this stuff so then guess who iran is also providing armed drones to russia so people are saying should we support ukraine yes absolutely who's supporting the other side iran who's giving money to iran joe biden Who's, who's giving money to Hamas? Joe Biden. We're, we're, Joe Biden is actually funding both sides of these conflicts with the policies that they've been trying to do Is they're trying yeah. to chase appeasement. Appeasement we learned from Neville Chamberlain leads to one thing, it leads to world wars. And so that's what we're facing right now. It's that serious. Yes. Um, I, I believe Neville Chamberlain's quote
0: was, peace in our time, unfortunately not. So you talked about oil. Let's talk about energy. Let's talk about domestic energy real quick. Because under President Trump, we were, were essentially energy independent. And we went from being energy independent to now energy dependent again. How would you change that? What are the things that you would do as president to make us energy independent again? Because I know energy, North Dakota, is is.
2: Well, we, we, we haven't gone far enough. Because when we talked about energy independent, it was on a net basis. When, Putin invaded Ukraine that day that that happened, we were still offloading 400,000 barrels of oil equivalent into New England because of dirty Russian heating oil, which is bad for the environment versus clean natural gas from Pennsylvania because you can't get a pipeline permitted under this administration from Pennsylvania to New England. And so what we have is, if we want to have true independence, everybody in the lower 48 has got to be able to consume U.S.-generated energy only. Good for the environment, good for global stability. If we do that, that also puts us in a position, say, on day one, we start selling energy to our friends and allies, you know, versus having them buy it from our adversaries. It'll lower the lower the cost of inflation, improve the economy, bring manufacturing jobs back and increase global stability. is quite straightforward, but instead, we've got an all-out assault on U.S. energy going on right now, whether it's in Alaska, uh, whether it's killing legally permitted pipelines in America, or whether it's blocking uh, natural gas pipelines, just same thing. I mean, California needs to import oil every day to run their cars and they could have pipelines from north dakota or texas new mexico providing them alternative sources of clean fuels from the u.s so we've got a national security risk because of the anti-energy anti-pipeline approach of the biden administration so in other words climate change according to the biden administration is the greatest threat to the globe according to them, which makes, I I agree with you. The the greatest threat to the environment is actually Biden's climate policies, not climate change. Because the climate policies, if we try to get every car in America running as an EV, and we're using taxpayer money to subsidize the batteries and the cars, but not the workers, you end up with worker strikes. But I feel like the Biden energy policy was designed by China, because who are we going to buy the batteries from? China. And China is building those batteries in factories powered by coal. They're opening up a coal plant every week right now. They've got over 200 in queue to do that. And why would China be doing that? Because they're the largest importer of oil and gas. They're trying to get off of their dependence of oil and gas because they don't have any. And they're going to EVs for a completely different reason. It's not because they care about the environment. They're the world's largest polluter and every week they're putting more CO2 in the air. But somehow they got people convinced that even the Washington Post wrote an article about what a great job China was doing You know, moving to EVs, they're doing that because they don't have the energy we have. They don't have clean liquid fuels. They don't care about CO2 emissions. What they care about is being more energy secure. And no no climate policy is going to stop them from pursuing that path. So it's complete naivete to think that if we offload energy production to China, that we're helping the planet. If you care about the environment, you want to have every ounce and every electron produced here in the United States.
0: appreciate that. Last question. I know you're busy. You're running for president, name ID is all important, this is your first run for president, the Klieg lights are it's, it's totally different. What challenges have you have you faced trying to get your name out there, trying to get the, your policies out there, trying to get your policies heard? Because frankly, the Midwestern common sense, I think America has a hankering for some of that. What kind of challenges have you faced in the campaign to, to sort of get your message out there. Well
2: we feel like we're off to a very strong start I mean people said you're not gonna make the first debate we did Uh, you know who are you Doug who you are not gonna make the second debate we did Uh, you know we keep showing up in surprising ways because as people the more they know about us the more they learn about us the more they understand our policies our message and our capability both in the private sector and in driving incredible success in a state that now has got the highest GDP of any of the Republican-led states in the country highest workforce participation Uh, we've got so many positive things going on in our home state people are starting to understand that hey this guy it could actually do this executive job and he's done it globally he knows how to compete and win in a global environment that's what we have to do we can't have any more Joe Biden's who spent their life in the Senate and never created a job I've, I've created more jobs than everybody else on the debate stage combined I've been making payroll every two weeks since I was in my mid-20s. That's more than some of these. Some people haven't done it for two weeks. I've been doing it for for over four decades. And so when people start to understand what we can deliver about economy and about national security, they're saying, let's take a look. And we're confident in the voters. When the voting is three months away, when that happens, uh, we know we're going to be near the top of the pack when that's happening. Appreciate that. Folks, we've been talking to
0: Governor Doug Burgum running for president from New Hampshire, first in the nation summit. Governor Burgum, thank you so much for taking the time. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you,
2: Robert. Appreciate it. Pleasure.
0: So that was our interview with Governor Doug Burgum, obviously running for president. Erica, to me... It's what I said before Before we aired the interview. He just has this common Midwestern values. He's a smart guy. Obviously, he's not polling well. I don't know if he's going to make it to the next debate. I certainly hope so. I think he adds value. But what was your takeaway? What I mean, Talk to me.
1: You know, the big thing is I just want a president who is practical and reasonable, um, which feels like a very low bar these days. Like, can you just not be crazy? Uh, and do math. Can we, can we start there? And, um, he definitely passes those, those for sure. Um, and he, He, and he he passes the the low, he passes the low bar. He passes my lowest bar. And then he says all the things that I want to hear from a presidential candidate. Um, where do you think he lines up kind of in your, uh, you know, rankings? In comparison uh, to everybody
0: else. De- define ranking. Sir, so, look, look. He he's polling single digits. I don't know if he's going to yeah. make the, next, the the next debate. Un- unfortunately, I think he's got good values. I think his internal rudder uh, is good for the would be good for the country. But at the end of the day, um, you you still have to have someone who can win the primary and win mm. the, win the general. There are many. Look, I'm still A B B. Right, anybody but Biden. Uh, so there, therefore I would take him, I would take governor Hutchinson. I would take, you know, you know, let's go up the ladder, right. Governor Christie would be excellent. I think, uh, Nick, uh ambassador Haley would be excellent. Governor DeSantis would be excellent. And of course, Donald Trump, I think would be excellent all because they're not Biden, but governor yeah. Burgum needs to break through. I just don't know how he does that. So while, you know, I can extol his virtues or his acumen and he's a businessman and he's common sense, uh, you know, to me you know it still comes down to grassroots support
1: yeah i'd like have to that. see him run again uh you know maybe in what wait uh 28 or uh you know whenever depending on who gets elected next i would like to see more from him in the future i'll say that and
0: i agree with that and you know there's an old saying or an old um, understanding in politics that if you really want to run for office, you have to have fire in your belly to run twice because chances are you're going to lose the first time. So if you have the fire in the belly and again, you know, he'll have an organization, he'll have name ID, he'll have, you know, who knows where the country will be in four or eight years, depending on who's elected. So, you know, you make a good point. Uh, that's an excellent point. Maybe, maybe he will run again. Maybe we have not seen the last of governor Burgum in terms once the presidential cycle is over, who knows. That's right let's go to the populist side because the other one of the other people that we got to interview was tyler boyer now tyler is you know what turning point now i i know you're don't fangirl out on me okay i know you do that sometimes
1: i love turning point usa you know i'm a huge fan of turning point usa
0: as as you should be because they do great work so as a pope but he's not charlie kirk He's the counterpart. He's on the, right. He's on the pack side. He's on the grassroots side. Yep. Returning point USA yep. action. Tyler Boyer action. is the right. Is the uh, president C-O-O. or chairman. He's
1: the operating
0: chief operating, officer.
1: operating officer.
0: Yep. So folks, we talked to him as well about sort of their, their grassroots activity of signing up young people, because that's one of the places that we're weak and frankly, uh, Turning Point Action USA does such a great job. We need other organizations to either join with them or start their own because it's all about educating the youth and getting the youth engaged. So that's right. Right. So stay tuned. We're going to now play you an interview with Tyler Boyer, COO of Turning Point Action USA. And we'll be back on the other side of that interview and talk a little bit more, Erica and I. Hello and welcome to Of The People, On The Road, Mobile Edition. I am Robert Chernin and with us we're thrilled to have Tyler Boyer who is the COO of Turning Point USA Action, the country's largest grassroots youth organization in the country. He also happens to be the National Committee man from Arizona. Tyler, welcome to Of The People, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. So tell us, we're in New Hampshire, first in the nation summit. What are you guys doing on the ground here in terms of outreach to build on your successes so
3: far? Well, uh, Turning Point Action is predominantly focused on the states that are most important for the presidential cycle. So our big focus is Arizona, Wisconsin, Georgia. Uh, So in the general, not the primary. Well, it's, yeah, the general is where the votes get manipulated by the left. We know that, right? That's where they've spent so much time. You've probably heard so much about Maricopa County, my home. Uh, just a little bit. in the, little bit. In the
0: 2020 election cycle. A little bit. Right?
3: But, you know, it's not just Maricopa County. Right. We're talking about Milwaukee and Waukesha and Racine, and there's so much that's happening in so many of these counties that most people outside those states don't even realize, because that's the tip of the spear for how the left is trying to dominate our elections. So. Turning Point USA action has been incredibly successful, but
0: obviously Republicans lost in 2020. Yep. So tell me what you're doing differently in terms of your game plan, your ground ground ops, whatever you want to call it, so that 2024 has a different outcome and that Turning Point USA
3: action is a large part of the reason. Because you're from the Northeast, I'm gonna be very direct with you. Okay. And <laughs> what it, was what was your first vote? Right? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> they aren't as direct in the Midwest. Okay. But in in the Northeast we can be more direct. Right. I mean, look, the Democrats 20 years ago figured out that the party structure, the party infrastructure is not good. And they started building all this stuff outside the party, outside the Democrat Party. Okay. And in twenty twenty and twenty sixteen and twenty twelve and for the past twenty years. We keep hearing over and over, oh, well, the RNC is going to do everything. Well, the Republican Party can do everything. All voter contacts, voter registration, all this stuff. And that's just not true. The failure of 2020 was we had a party, a top-down party, that doesn't listen to the grassroots, that doesn't focus on the grassroots, that says they're going to do everything. And we know they're not. You know how we know that? We've lost elections over and over and over again now. For the last three election cycles, it's been a disaster. So our admonition to the party, and this is coming from a person that's on the RNC. I'm the National Committee I was going to ask you about that. The party can't do everything. It's a huge mistake to have uh, the the chairwoman and other party chairs say they can do it all. They can't. Again, the Democrats figured this out 20 years ago and they started building all this stuff outside the party and, and getting smart with how they spend their dollars. And it's way easier for 501c3s and nonprofits to do voter registration work. Way better for 501C4s and PACs to do ballot chasing efforts, and we know Democrats are ballot harvesting. So what are they doing? They're identifying ballots, and they're taking message. Why is Joe Biden not debating?
0: Because he doesn't need to.
3: He doesn't need to. You right. know why? It's better for them if he doesn't, if he shuts the heck up, sits down in the basement, and then they micro-target all these crazy, you know, asinine things that the that the Democrats are supporting, and so. Uh, when they do that, you know, in 50 50 states like Arizona is now, right? Arizona is a <laughs> predominantly conservative state that's more competitive. Wisconsin for a long time has been a 50 50 state. I would argue New Hampshire has, in the history of New Hampshire, has always been a 50-50 state. It's like, it's been very competitive for a really long time. What are the Democrats doing differently? They're micro-targeting, especially in recent years. And if we do those activities the same way and with the same efficacy that the Democrats are doing it, we're gonna be able to win New Hampshire. We're gonna be able to win, uh, for a long time, forever, Iowa. We're gonna win forever, Wisconsin and Arizona and Georgia. But if we don't get on the horse and do that immediately, we're gonna not only lose these states, Arizona, Wisconsin, Georgia, but they're going to move into other states like Idaho and Tennessee and people think I'm crazy when I say these things, but they figured out the best thing. That's
0: a bit of a stretch for most people who are politically in the game to win some of those states. I hope you're right. So here's the other question for you. Politics is the one sport, if you will, that the more you lose, the more credibility you gain. We have lost essentially or performed below expectations in three cycles. Yep. What's your prediction for 2024, and do you want to weigh in on the Republican primary since you are at the first in the nation summit in New Hampshire? And you can take a pass if you want to, but I had to ask.
3: No, I mean, look, here's the deal. Right now, Trump is ahead 50 points. So it's like, let's, let's look at, I'll use an example on the left, John Fetterman. John Fetterman is a potato right he's a potato he's a potato with legs he's mr potato head he and he has the the northeast people were the direct ones (laughs) well i'm a very direct person too that's why i get along with people from the north that's why i married someone from new jersey absolutely so look he's a potato and they didn't challenge him really right why didn't they because they knew he had the grassroots support they focus all their efforts, resources on getting out votes. You mean the machine? The machine, right. the infrastructure. Well, why is that? Because John Fetterman isn't the only one running for office. There's hundreds of people in Pennsylvania running for office below him. And if John Fetterman, they spend all their time and energy and money trying to stop John Fetterman from running when he's 50 points ahead on their side, yeah. then you're wasting your money when you could win all these other races. I don't think there's a single Democrat that loves John Fetterman as their U.S. Senator. There's probably not a single national guy that does. But the grassroots supported him. And so they were like, oh, we're gonna focus all our efforts on other things. We've gotta do the same thing on our side, which we have to look at this and say, guys, we have to stop doing silly things or wasting money. You know, I tell people this all the time, and I'm not bashful saying it. Tim Scott, nice guy. S- spending fifty million dollars is just like throwing fifty million dollars in the fire. It's not gonna he's not gonna win the presidency.
0: We've gotta stop playing by the markets of cleaning. Nikki Haley, roles. same thing. I, got well, it. So I want to thank you for coming on. Yeah, you got Folks, it. Folks, you've been listening with Tyler Bauer, who is the president of Turning Point Action, or USA Action, or Action USA, I'll get that right. Turning Point Action. Turning Point it. Action, the largest conservative grassroots youth organization in the country. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time. Tyler, thanks for joining thank
3: us. You. Got it, appreciate it.
0: And that was our interview with Tyler Boyer of Turning Point Action USA. Erica, they do such good work they're yeah. so committed and and frankly I would like to force multiply them and have them in so many other uh, areas but what what was your takeaway from this interview with Tyler because they're really they're really the only ones I know on certainly the conservative side that are really engaging the youth of America and, and anyone younger than me is youthful right but the youth of America <laughs> in, in the 20s in you know into their early 30s to really get engaged yeah. in the political process and as an example I really didn't get engaged in, in the political process
1: until after I was married and after I had kids and it started to mean something to me.
0: So their work is so yeah. important. What do you think about
1: all this? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they're in high schools and colleges around the country building chapters, building leaders, uh, encouraging young people into journalism and covering uh, different events at their college campuses. They're just incredibly effective at messaging and recruiting new members and people into the fold. Um, As I've mentioned probably before, I'm an ambassador for TPUSA. They ask for old fogies like us uh, to help (laughs) encourage the young people. Mm. And I got to tell you, I'll tell you two quick things. One is I've covered their events as press for the last few years. So Young Women's Leadership Summit, America Fest, and there is nothing like it. Thousands and thousands, 10 plus thousand 15,000 young people, activists, political pundits, politicians all getting together who love America and want to make a difference. Um there if 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 TPUSA has an event or a chapter near you, if you have a young person who's politically motivated, you can find a chapter near you or you can start one. So I just I love again, I love what they're doing. Um, and if I can tell a quick story, I learned about, I learned about TPUSA probably about maybe like four or five years ago or so when they did a cross promotional event or when convention of states worked with them at an event and they had, I think it was a Lamborghini, And uh, what they did was they rented this Lamborghini, had it at the event and said to young people, this is your share of the United States debt. Now, would you rather continue going in the direction that we are and let the government steal money out of your pocket for whatever they want? Or would you rather have this Lamborghini? And I thought it was such a, a smart way to create a visualization of what is wrong with our government. And, and so that's why I love that creativity. I love that engagement and, and I just would love to see more of it.
0: Uh, Agreed. So let me see, I can pay my taxes or I can have a Lamborghini. I think I'll take the Lamborghini. I'm not, not red though. I think I'm more like a black Lamborghini, but that's okay. Mm. Uh, And the other thing that we need to just quickly put a plug in for, for Turning Point USA Action is, they have their annual conference coming up uh, at America. Yeah. It's called America Fest, right? It's in Phoenix, yes. Arizona. I wanna say it's December 16th. Don't hold me to the date. Um, yes, and, it is. And ladies That's and when gentlemen, we will be there. So look for me, look for Erica, and go onto the Turning Point USA Action website, and maybe we'll see you at America Fest. Get your tickets. Get your get your, get your tickets, and and it's for the young people. And by the way, if you're an old fogey, I hate to think what that makes me. <laughs> so, so, so what's well, older than? Wait, 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 wait! No, come on, you started this. What's older okay. than an old fogey?
1: Uh, an older fogey?
0: Nah, you're being
1: nice. A full fo- okay. of older fogier, fo- fo- fogier. <laughs> <laughs> I okay. have no idea.
0: Well, folks, uh, while we're considering what's beyond the old A fossil. Old fogey, a
1: fossil. Better. <laughs> better, better. And, oh, and I, that came from Lord Benjamin. I, I'm I sorry knew, for interrupting, Robert.
0: I, 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 I knew it had. So, so the old fogey and the fossil are going to go make some money. We have to go to break. But stay tuned on the other side of the break because we have a really powerful interview with Morgan Ortega's founder of Polaris National yeah. Security about what's going on in Israel and really what's going on here as well. Stay tuned. The old fogey and the fossil. will be right back on the other side of the break.
4: From conservative commentator and contributor to Breitbart News, The American Spectator, The Jerusalem Post. The New Civil War – Exposing Elites, Fighting Utopian Leftism, and Restoring America Bruce D. Abramson brings a transformative exploration into how progressivism has poisoned America. Featuring a foreword by President Trump's former strategist Sebastian Gorka, Ph.D. The New Civil War will open your eyes to the left's incendiary agenda and how patriotic Americans can fight back. We're living through a national trauma. The United States has jettisoned the rule of law and ceased functioning as a republic battle lines have been drawn. Progressives are moving quickly to cement their transformation of the country's beliefs, attitudes, values, social structures, economic models, and government organizations. Patriotic Americans are waking up to recognize that conservatism failed to conserve much of anything. Progressives control academia, media, the civil service, and several of our country's most important industries. The new civil war is not a call for war. It is a recognition that war has been declared on us. Our sacred love of liberty is under attack. Unless we defend it, the America we love may be lost. This book is for every patriotic American eager to defeat the utopian left and restore America. Joel Pollack, conservative journalist. Americans face a bizarre new political landscape. A supposedly moderate president who ran on promises of unity is pursuing a radical left-wing agenda. These challenges call for principled, effective opposition. The New Civil War will help start a conversation about how to push back. Harmeet Dillon, civil rights lawyer. As a lawyer who defends the victims of progressivism every day, I have looked into the eyes of the Thought Police. The New Civil War provides the wake-up call America needs and serves as a self-defense manual for patriotic Americans. Get your copy of The New Civil War today.
0: Hello, Welcome to Of the People. We are excited to have with us Morgan Ortega, founder of Polaris National Security, also former spokesperson for Mike Pompeo, Secretary of State. Morgan, welcome to Of the People.
5: Thank you. Good to be here. And
0: welcome to the First in the Nation Summit. How's it going for you? Uh,
5: This is the, let's see, my third event in New Hampshire. I've been coming here since the summer doing national security forums, and I think I'm an honorary Granite Stater, or close to it.
0: I I think you need to come a few more times. A few more times? Okay. So so I've lived in in the Estate State for 10 years and I'm still considered a flatlander oh. okay so just so we're clear but I appreciate you taking the time look these are okay. serious times I want to talk a little bit about Israel I want to talk a little bit about the southern border what's the latest update on Israel I know they were starting a, a, a ground incursion I know there's concern that public opinion is going to turn the other way and then this White understand. House may uh, equivocate or establish a moral equivalency T- tell us what you know and tell us what we can expect
5: so I don't think that the ground first, invasion first, at least at this moment has started in full force. Of course, they have started some raids, some operations. You're obviously seeing rockets going back and forth. A concerning thing, of course, you know, Israel's going to be able to take care of uh, Hamas and Gaza. I'm not as, as worried about that as I am about what happens with Hezbollah in the north, uh, what happens from Syria. There were some, reportedly some rockets that came from Syria into the Golan Heights. And does this end up turning into a multi-front war? Uh, for Israel, you know, they're surrounded by their enemies. We saw, sadly, uh, 50 years ago in the Yom Kippur War, what can happen to the state of Israel? And it's such a tiny country, surrounded by enemies, that its very existence is questionable, right? All of the times, so it's, it's it's easy for enemies to get to get together and to encircle it and to try to uh, destroy the Jewish state. And that is exactly what their intention is. That what that's what their plan is. And so uh, we need to stand with Israel. I was glad that the President and Secretary uh, Blinken had strong words of standing by Israel this week. But that needs to happen not just this week, it needs to happen next week and the week after and months down the road whenever they are still trying to eliminate the terrorist threat from Gaza.
0: I could not agree more. Thank you for that because we, we're hearing some moral equivalency. I don't know how you establish a moral equivalency. And the EU has already put out requests for a proportionate response. Um, Israel's not known for raping women or beheading babies. So I'm not sure so, what. How qualifies. do you proportionally
5: respond to, just, to rapes and beheadings yeah, and burning I, families alive? Right. I'd love to know what a proportional response is to that.
0: Right. I, I, I don't understand. Being I just know I, we've been through this before you, and I, I've been to Israel many times. I heard your speech. I've stood on the Golan Heights. If you have not yes. been to the Golan Heights go. and, un- and, and understand, first of all, go. I agree. And I, and if you look down, you understand why it was so important, A, to take the Golan Heights, and it's so important for President Trump to do what he did with recognizing the Golan Heights. You know, the Golan is part of Israel. Uh, but the concern is a multi-front war. How do you deal with Iran, though? Because at the end of the day, I, I think the, you're right, the Israelis will take care of what they need to do to eradicate Hamas and protect future generations of Israelis because that's what this fight's about. But then there's Iran. And obviously with Iran, then you have Russia, you have North Korea, you have uh, China. I think you reference them as a the new axis of evil. That's right. right. How do you deal with Iran in the larger picture?
5: Well, uh, you know, Uh, For the United States, you do with Iran how we did in the Trump administration under Mike Pompeo. Uh, You know, we treated them as the terrorist state that they are. They are the world's leading state sponsor of terror, uh, as designated uh, by multiple Republican and Democratic administrations. And you treat a terrorist state as a terrorist state. You don't treat them as someone who can be negotiated with a friendly, you know, nation. You know, the error, the massive error in the Obama administration in his second term of trying to negotiate a nuclear deal. You know, they thought they had this fantasy, total fantasy, that they could take a theocratic, revolutionary regime and turn it into uh, a moderating force in the Middle East. Uh, that obviously did not work they got billions of dollars in sanctions relief which they used to fund terrorism as i just said in my speech and my remarks earlier and the biden administration they've gone back to that capitulation back to that appeasement policy uh hamas was receiving about 100 million dollars a year from iran it's been 350 million dollars 350 million dollars this year why because the biden administration refuses to enforce the sanctions that are on the book they just gave them six billion dollars i don't Want to hear any more bullshit about fun about you know oh well they haven't used the money yet uh, the six money billion dollars money is fungible right. they knew the six billion dollars were coming and why would you give six billion dollars to uh, an organization that uses any extra money that they have it doesn't go to schools it doesn't go to bridges it doesn't go to public health infrastructure it goes to terrorism and what does that terrorism go to do it's not indiscriminate that t- the purpose of that terrorism is to wipe Israel off the state of the map and to attack America when they chant death to Israel, in the next breath they chant death to America. This is our enemy as well, there's 27, at least 27 okay. dead Americans, this is our fight too.
0: I agree. In, in the panel you hosted with Senator Ernst yesterday, one of the questions from the audience is why does everyone hate the Jews? Yeah. And I wanted to respond to them that people need to understand, it's not just the Jews, we're the point of the spear if for some reason the Jews get driven into the sea, all the Christians in the room, you guys are next, right? Because it's the Judeo-Christian values, it's the Judeo-Christian people that Radical Islam is fighting against, right?
5: And so, and as I said in my speech, and I say this today, it's it's Shabbat, and and temples around America and around Israel and the world, we are chanting Yom Israel, hi the people of Israel live. Do not forget that.
0: Thank you. I want to talk a little bit about Polaris National Security. Yeah. You are the former spokesperson for Mike Pompeo. There was yeah. some some chatter that he might have thrown his hat in the ring many months yeah. ago for president that yeah. would have been interesting he is a solid, he's probably one of the best secretaries of state this country's ever had I agree you founded you are the I founder. would say
5: when the washington post says you're the worst secretary of state ever then you know that's you're a, the best It's
0: the badge of honor <laughs> a, I actually
5: I actually framed that from the washington post and gave it to him That's great I really did true story
0: So you founded Polaris National Security yes, sir. tell me a little bit about your work what you're doing besides we've just covered Israel but the southern border the fentanyl I mean what comes under that the aegis of that, yes. what are you doing?
5: We're a national security think tank, and what we're really focused on is not doing events in D.C. We're and none, I don't live in D.C. anyway, I live in Tennessee. We're focused on doing national security events around the country to educate people. We did this last year in the, in the 22 cycle to educate people about foreign policy, uh, military policy, national security issues, why they matter, and what we can do about it. And we really want to focus our special guests at our events, which they could be sitting members, they could be candidates, national security leaders. Uh, we try to focus on policy, right? I'm not a, I'm not an overly political person. I don't spend my time in politics. I spend my time focused on policy and what is the right policy to keep Americans safe. Um, and sadly, you know, we have been harping and trying to uh, raise the alarm about the border for a long time. And now we're seeing what happened in Israel. Now we're seeing, God forbid, we know that we have, you know, the numbers go back and forth. I heard it was in between between January and September, it was between like 150, 160 terrorists on the terror watch list that were apprehended at the border. I often like to say this at the southern border. Now, these are the wow. stupid terrorists. Right. The ones who got caught. These, these are the ones who got caught. Right. So we have almost 2 million gotaways. Um, I don't know how we don't have some sort of repercussions in our country for that, meaning an, a terrorist attack from people that have come over the border. God forbid, Scary. I pray that doesn't happen. But we know that Iran and Hezbollah have had sleeper cells in the United States. This has been reported on for a long time. We also know that they have these sleeper cells because they have been somewhat disrupted because they are currently trying to assassinate former Trump administration officials, including my boss secretary, Mike Pompeo. They're trying to assassinate them right now on US soil. This is why they have secret service. This is why they have diplomatic security. Um, and to, to think that we just gave $6 billion to somebody, to a regime that is actively trying to kill the former president, his secretary of state, the secretary of defense, the national security advisor, and the last chairman of the Joint Chiefs who stayed over for Biden. We gave a state $6 billion when they're actively trying to kill President Trump and his national security team. Like, what the flying, you know what?
0: And there's only one thing you said I disagree with. You said that President Obama made a mistake. I don't think it was a mistake. I think it was intentional.
5: That I think is.
0: he's I think he sees America as a occupying colonial power and he doesn't appreciate all the freedoms and the greatness of America. You're doing such great work. Where can our listeners find you on social media, yes. on the web?
5: You can find me on all the social medias at Morgan Ortegas, MorganOrtegas.com. My last name's a little tricky, so it's O-R-T-A-G-U-S. So MorganOrtegas.com. And then if you want to learn more about Polaris, Polaris, P-O-L-A-R-I-S-U-S.org. All
0: right. Morgan, thank you so much for thank taking you. time out of your busy schedule. Yes, sir. Thanks for being here. We hope to thank talk you. to you again.
5: Yes, sir. Thank you.
0: So that was our interview with Morgan Ortegas of Polaris National Security. Erica, you know, this ties back obviously into the opening monologue about what I call the Amer- the new American hostage crisis or another American hostage crisis with Iran functionally holding Americans hostage in Gaza. Right.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: The whole situation in Israel, though, really comes back to what's going on or relates back to what's going on in America. And we touched mm. on it in the monologue, right, about this whole social justice movement in this country, Black Lives Matter, Occupy Wall Street, uh, Antifa, all these radical organizations who have not only seek to divide us, but functionally have divided us and made us, dare I say it, an apartheid country. So Mm. there's all this talk about Israel being an apartheid nation, which I think is crap. But there's so much division in America. And this whole social justice woke movement is a lot of things, including anti-Semitic. And yet it's the liberal Jewish um, population that by and large was one of the vanguards that brought this into being and pushed it. So I just threw a lot at you. I know we were talking about national security in Israel, but to me, I want to focus on that because I don't think people un- really understood that. And a lot of the people that are, that were pushing it, I'll tell you a st- yeah. story real quick. So at the yeah. height of the Black Lives Matter movement, a friend of mine in, in Scarsdale, New York, so very elite, okay. very wealthy, yep. wealthy community, Uppity. very white, yep. very yuppie, very white community. His yep. son comes back to him, and there was this huge protest in. It might have been Marinette. I don't remember where it was, but it was Scarsdale, Westchester County, and he was really shaken by it because of what they were saying and everything. So his father then said, "You know, who was there?" And his response was, "It was all white people." Yeah. Right. And let's be honest: in that community, a lot of those people are. I mean, are many denominations are Christian. they but but they're they're elite, educated white people, Jewish christian or catholic or protestant whatever they are right and that's to me symbolic of these are the same people now who are crying about all the anti-semitism coming out of the pro-palestine movement coming out of black lives matter what did you think you were voting for when you supported this
1: it's that's one of the things that is so always so strange to me is did the people who supported and donated to Black Lives Matter actually read their website, actually read their mission statement, actually learn what that organization was about and for? Because they were very clear on their website that they were pro-Palestine and anti-Israel, more to the point. And then we gave them a billion dollars Um, which really just funded more, you know, helped to fund more protests. Now we've seen how much of that money was actually, uh, siphoned off by, you know, Patrice colors and, and the leadership, they basically, you know, three three or four
0: houses now, right? Three or $4 million houses.
1: Exactly. But they were pro-Palestinian and anti-Israel the whole time. Uh, and they are very open about their hostility towards Israel. Israel. So, it was it. It was always odd to me that Jewish people would fund and support an organization calling for the destruction of Israel. And
0: right, I mean, I mean, how's how's that for inconsistency? Right, you want to talk cognitive dissonance? Anyone?
1: (laughs) That's what. Can you help explain to me and the other listeners, Robert, this like? divide if you if if that's what you call it between liberal jews and conservative jews like why would liberal jewish people fund and support the destruction of israel it, it, it just is weird Do, where did this start where did this come from why is this
0: okay before we go down that road, full disclaimer is I am not an expert, I am not a sociologist, and I am probably not uh, the best source to give you that mm. answer, right? And there's certainly not yeah. a definitive answer. Having said that, I certainly have my beliefs and opinions on, on this.
1: Mm. So I'm asking right? I, you to speculate, some, basically.
0: I, I will, as some as, as someone who is MOT, right? Member of the tribe, meaning, I'm meaning being fish yeah. So I think it starts with the fact that there is such a need to um, heal the world, Tikkun Olam, which is this this mm. expression and 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 this this mandate for in Judaism to heal the world, and I think that's where this sort of comes from. I think it's misguided, obviously, and I and I think that doing social justice, you know, doing good things under social justice and helping the downtrodden and helping other minorities, because Jews are of course minorities, uh, makes them feel good about it and 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 makes them think that they are fulfilling that mandate. The problem ah. is Jews may be good at a lot of things, but they're certainly not liberal Jews are not good at connecting the dots, apparently, because you've got because every action relates to something else. And to not understand, because look, there's no one who is Jewish that I know of, and I maybe there's one or two out there, but but no one would would absolutely say, I support the destruction of Israel. I'm Jewish and I support the destruction of Israel. I don't think they there's anyone who's that you know that stupid, frankly, or that um transparent about it. I think that they want to support these social justice movements, not understanding that these very social justice movements in turn are anti-Semitic and support a, a sort of what I call, you know, look, I said, we're an apartheid country, we're really, our country, our government is not an apartheid, but there's so much division between blacks and whites and rich and poor and men versus women mm. that we've become sort of a functionally apartheid nation unto ourselves. Right. Yeah. And of course, the whole other th- issue is the one of oppressor or in the pressed. Right. So mm. the social justice movement has to have victims. Oh. Right. And what better victims to bring in, you know, to your side is and say, we you know, we you know, we we appreciate that you were a victim and come come on our side. We're going to protect you the jews who have been victims of persecution for you know two thousand three thousand years right so yeah but again i don't think that they connect the dots in all of this and you talked about the black lives matter website you know my question to you is which black lives matter website the one before oh, yeah. they scrubbed it or after because you know they yeah, changed their point. website
1: they did you're right, right. they did so, so they now, so now it's this. of
0: right now it's this sort of language yeah they now it's this sort of, you know, oh, can't we all get along feel good stuff. But before it was pro-Palestinian, I have, by the way, a screenshot of the old website. Anyone wants to contact me at RB Churnin on Twitter or Robert C at ASIC fund, I have it. They were against the nuclear family. They were against Western yep. civilization. They were again, you know, against Israel all on their website, but it's not there yep. anymore.
1: Yeah, they got wise. Right, some of us started calling them out, and they were like, "Whoopsie, we better take that down."
0: Right, right. So, oh so I, I mean, I'm not sure that I've given you a definitive answer, and it's always, you know, a difficult issue to address because what I don't want to do is to empower the anti Semites even further by when they, when they say, "Oh, see, it's it's the sort of the liberal Jewish or the you know, um, you know, the, the communist Jew, you know, you know, I mean, the minute you do that, you empower, you know, you know, other elements in society to Uh, raise the anti semitism flag even more. Right. So it's a hard conversation to have, but it is a conversation that certainly within the Jewish community, at least we're starting to have, because you're now seeing all these signs of all these people who supported the social justice movement in various capacities, feeling betrayed by the movement. And my response to them is, where you been wake up you you have been useful idiots to coin a phrase in communism you've been useful idiots until you're no longer of use to them and of course you know what's the expression hoisted on your own petard (laughs) exploded by your own bomb you know i mean doesn't it feel
1: like you're uh, like uh, a skipping record sometimes like come on guys this is not new We're not even providing you new information like this is all out here. And we've been raising the alarm and trying to tell you this whole time. And then now you see people crying on college campuses about how the pro Palestinian movement wants you dead. And it's like, yeah, that's not new, dude. Five minutes ago you were, you were protesting with them
0: right absolutely incredulous isn't it so here's the other thing there there was i don't know if you heard about this there was an episode so Jay, dave chappelle the comedian who is who is muslim right i think he's a convert um was doing a a comedy show in the boston gardens td gardens yeah and some and it went towards the end of the show apparently it's in the news folks you can look it up but yep Towards the end of the show, went on this pro-Palestinian rant against Israel, and there were obviously this is Boston. There were a lot of Jewish people in the audience, and someone spoke up, and you know, basically, you know, there was a a profanity exchange, and then he went on this laced tirade. And here's the scary part: the chants out of the audience, overwhelming chants about pro-Palestine, and you know, you know, I don't quite think they went death to Israel, but it became this sort of mob mentality against Jews and against Israel that. I don't know if all the Jewish patrons left, but enough of them that it made the news. How scary is stuff like that? You see these rallies, and that's the other thing. Let's talk about the First Amendment with what little time we have left on this show. You are yeah. not allowed. For, I mean, look, I'm a firm advocate in First Amendment and you know, free speech, right? And this country was founded on being able to hear things you don't want to hear that you don't agree with. And yeah. the old expression is that I may disagree with what you say but I will defend to the death your right to say it. But here's the issue. You still can't, under the Supreme Court decision, yell fire in a a crowded theater. There are limits on free speech. And when you're calling for violence, that is a limit on free speech. You're not supposed to be able to call for violence, right? And again, not all of the protests call for violence, but enough of them have called for death to Israel, death to U.S. violence. In this country, here, in the streets... Right. Yeah. That, you know, again, you have the not covered by most of the media. Right. And of course, these protests are, to coin a phrase, mostly peaceful. But,
1: <laughs> right? but when where have we heard, there where have we heard is, that before? Exactly. And I think that unfortunately, y- you know, I'll speak to my own personal experience that the universities are really teaching the history of this conflict incorrectly. And I remember being taught incorrectly. I it's only been, you know, 10 years or so since I've been out of college. Um, but even back then they were teaching this history wrongly. They were teaching it from, uh, a pro Palestinian, uh, pr- uh, side anti-israeli side the whole time and i had to be corrected by people who understood the history better so folks if i can just implore you do not accept the headlines on this do not even robert and i don't accept our opinions and what we say go do the research go learn the history for yourself and don't let anyone read your history books for you Um, that's my, that's my, my lecture of the day,
0: by the way, for the, for the record, if you only graduated 10 years ago, there's no way you're an old fogey, just putting that out there. (laughs) So just saying, (laughs) look, there's so much more about this. We need to talk about. We are getting the the high sign or the buy sign from Lord Benjamin. This show has just been chock full and went really quick. So we need to go, but I do want Erica, you and I to come back on a future show and talk about what's going on on the college campuses as a microcosm of this whole social justice indoctrination that is now so um, rampant throughout society but we'll we'll get to that one i promise on another show yep all right folks this is of the people i am robert Chernin with
1: erica reddick
0: and we're so glad that you stayed with us we'll be back next week take care bless you someone has to